The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now, here is your host, Kelly Riggs. And welcome into the business locker room. Great to have you alongside and a fantastic holiday season to each and every one of you. It is almost the end of the year. We are rolling into 2015 very, very quickly. And we have got a fantastic show lined up for you today. This is the business locker room. It's the show with compelling conversations, useful content that you can use to improve your business beginning today. You can always catch up with us, find out everything that's going on at bizlockerroom.com. I'll have some announcements after the first of the year, by the way, some big changes coming to the business locker room 31 December as we roll into the new show. And I'm excited to share all of that with you in our first show of the brand new year. Doesn't matter if you're a business owner, an executive, an entrepreneur, if you're just interested in marketing, social media, business strategy, this is absolutely the place for you. And we have got a lot of things coming. By the way, next week, the very last show of the season, by the way, this is show number 35, The Art of Significance, and I'll have on uh, just a fantastic guest today, Mr. Dan Clark. I'm going to tell you all about him. And later in the show, Stephen Gaffney will join us as well. He's been on the show before. We'll talk more to him about communication. But next week, 29 December, we'll talk to Kurt Steinhorst. I was uh, speaking at a uh, conference in San Diego three or four weeks ago, and I met Kurt, and he is called a distraction expert. He's got the neatest business card I've ever seen. He's uh, looking at his telephone and holding his finger up like, hang on just a second, and a guy is pointing a gun at his head. <laughs> and it says, what is your attention costing you? He is, uh, he is a guy that's going to help us understand attention distraction disorder. He teaches organizations how to focus despite all of the distractions of technology. I'm excited to have him on. Kurt Steinhorst uh, will join us next week. And then, of course, we'll roll into the new year. Today, our show, The Art of Significance based on the book by Mr. Dan Clark. Dan is the, uh, he's the CEO of Clark Success Systems. It is really hard to do a bio on Dan. We, we could do 30 minutes of just bio on Dan. Here's what's interesting to me. 32 years ago, he was named the Outstanding Young Man of America, was sponsored into the National Speakers Association by Zig Ziglar. Now, I grew up with Zig. 
I've befriended his son, Tom Ziegler, in, in recent years. And uh, just I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for Zig. And I've known Dan uh, for less than a year, but I've read his book, listened to him speak a year ago, and uh, just have enormous respect for the things that he's doing. And The Art of Significance is a phenomenal book. We're, we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about motivation. We're going to talk about personal performance. And to show you what a, a great guy Dan is, again, we, we, could, we could spend a lot of time talking about his bio and Dan probably just bore people to tears with all the incredible things that you've done. But what impresses me is you take a little bit of time out of your day and come and spend it with us here in the business locker room. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Kelly. You're one of my heroes. So, <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is I know that you say that to everybody. So I, I just no, feel like no. Last week I confessed to your listeners when you had me on just for a couple of second teaser. I said, you know, I have the advantage over your listeners. Because I've seen you live, and you're the stud muffin hunk of burning love that everybody visualizes. <laughs> you are oh, a funny okay. guy. I, I need to get, I need to make sure I have that on tape because uh, that that is the highlight of uh, of my career is to have a guy like yourself. I mean, again, I, I know that you deflect a lot of the attention, but the things that you have done in your lifetime, the people that you've rubbed up against internationally, nationally, I know you've spoken to millions across the world and you've been with world leaders. You've been with uh, superstars in Hollywood and, and in sports. Uh, you've had a tremendous impact on people. This is something that we put on the, the website. You are described as, quote, a master motivator with an extraordinary intellect, leading an international movement to teach leaders and organizations how to transform themselves from successful to significance. Dan, what's the difference? What is the difference between success and significance? Well, that's, that's a great question. I just finished my book tour and the talk show circuit, and that, that was the most frequently asked question. How did I come up with the title? The Art of Significance Achieving the Level Beyond Success. Let me give you three quick vignettes. Played football for 13 years. One of my teammates drafted into the National Football League. Uh, He was drafted into the NFL in the second round by the Philadelphia Eagles, and I shared this story last last week on your show. But after two years with the Eagles, he's traded to the Oakland Raiders. After four years in the NFL, at the top of his game, he walks out of practice, quits never to play again. Why? He loved being a football player, but he hated playing football. He loved the celebrity perks and the fame and fortune that allowed him to live this life we call successful. But because his inner voice and his true purpose in life was misaligned with what he did and who he was, he would never enjoy a life of significance. And as we would say, therefore, he would die with his music still in him. So as I travel the world and speak in every industry, I've realized for a a thousand years that most people hate their jobs. They only look forward to Friday instead of Monday. Mm -hmm. They're paid by the hour when in reality we're paid for the value we bring to that hour. So what we have to do is quantify and illustrate what does it mean to to bring value to our personal and professional relationships. So successful people get what they want, but those of us who are striving to live lives of significance actually want what we get. At the end of the day, second of three vignettes, my middle daughter, very talented, very beautiful, very extraordinary, successful singer-songwriter in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. She's written with all the biggest names in country music. So when my McCall goes to Nashville, she's a celebrity. Everybody wants to write with her, and the bad boys of the band are attracted to her, and she's also attracted to them. So as a conservative father, I wanted to give her some advice, counselor, and I said, McCall, you have everything that you need to get what you want. 
But at some point, don't you think you should stop long enough to make sure you're wanting what you're getting so you don't die with your music still in you? And she basically, you know, water off the duck's back. She's like, yeah, 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 my, my, my words fell on deaf ears. <laughs> and then one day I had an epiphany. I said, McCall, you're like a dog chasing cars. I said, if the dog catches the car, what is she going to do with the car when she catches it? Just allow it to drag her down a road she had not intended in going down and beating her up until she finally let go and divorce. So too many of us are focused in on getting what we want, which is a destination, when in reality, we ought to focus in on what, making sure that we want what we get at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And the third quick vignette, I live in the mountains of Utah, and a few years ago, we had this amazing snowstorm. It lasted for like five days in a row, and it dumped feet of snow. I mean, it was such a brutal snowstorm. And it forced the wild deer population out of the mountains into our neighborhoods. And so on any given day, you'd see does and bucks in, in stranded in parks and at the end of our street in corners. And so the wildlife management associations decided they better make a move. And one day these trucks came rumbling into our neighborhoods with giant loads of hay and they dumped the hay in the cul-de-sacs. They dumped the hay in the, in the, in the parks to feed these stranded deer. And one week later, there were over 100 dead deer lying in our streets in our neighborhoods. So the wildlife management associations came back in with their trucks. They took these 100 dead carcasses away And when they performed the autopsies on these 100 dead deer, what they discovered is every single one of these dead deer had a stomach full of hay. Moreover, the story, they had been fed, but they had not been nourished. They got what they wanted, but they didn't get what they needed. And so they died. And so what we've got to do as business professionals is we've got to stop allowing these so-called self-proclaimed business gurus to reel us into believing that their principles of success that they've quantified and identified are, are the, the, the holy grail. And because of my maverick personality, and this is my 21st book, and I've been around the world a gajillion times and spoken in every industry, I was intrigued by the fact that Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, which is still on every bookshelf in every airport, it's just still mm-hmm. so widely purchased and read. Over 50% of the organizations that Jim Collins highlighted in his book, Good to Great, were obsolete within nine years after publication, and the book came out in 2001. Yeah, that's right. So where is Circuit City? It's replaced by Best Buy, who currently owns 25% of the market share. Where is uh, Borders and Blockbuster? They've been replaced by Netflix, you know. Where, where is Barnes & Nobles now has lost over $250 million for probably seven quarters in a row. They're not going to be around much longer. They've been replaced by, by Amazon and Kindle. Uh, Jim Collins highlighted Nokia as the sexiest connectivity company of its kind. Well, in 1997, the uh, Apple, you know, Wave took over the world, and mm-hmm. and Google's Android, and then the resurgence of Samsung. So now Nokia is a lame fourth place, and it, yet it was one of the great organizations highlighted by Jim Collins. Where's Fannie Mae? Come on, Collins. And what he used as his criterion is he said he he identified a great organization as an organization that had dominated their space and industry for fifteen years minimum. And so bottom line, what Jim Collins did is he identified what these successful organizations had in common. 
that made them successful. But what he failed to identify and smoke out where we could be aware of them were the cancerous and convoluted qualities that these companies, these successful companies also shared that eventually brought down their demise. So what I did in my book, The Art of Significance, is identified these 12 popular principles of success that we've all subscribed to all these years. And I challenged the status quo and replaced them with what I call the 12 highest universal laws of life-changing leadership. So my book will never go out, out, of, out, of, out of date, and it never has to be updated. And they're not my laws. This isn't a, you know, love, love on Dan Clark session here. This is me identifying 12 universal timeless laws that have always been right. And if we obey them and subscribe to them, not only will we succeed financially and succeed in our businesses, but we'll be able to transform our lives and our businesses and all of our relationships from successful to significance. Yeah, that's, so that's incredible a long stuff. Answer to your simple question, but it puts it in a nutshell and kind of lays lays the foundation, sets the table for the rest of our conversation. Yeah, no doubt about it. My guest is Dan Clark, who widely is recognized as one of the top ten speakers in the entire world. He's been doing it for three plus decades now. You can find him online at danclarkspeak.com and also follow him on Twitter at danclarkspeak. You've uh, you mentioned the book, The Art of Significance. I, I found it. I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's timeless, and yet. The, the law you talk about, as you actually say in the book, are very counterintuitive because we've been force-fed a, a, a whole variety of success principles, but significance principles are quite different. One of those I want to explore with you is one of your principles, focus, or one of your laws, rather, focus on winning instead of team. Now, most people, that just blows up because they've heard there's no I in team and it's all about the team. And yet you go into this lengthy description of winning versus team. And and by the way, as you point out in the book, there are two I's in in winning. (laughs) I thought that was great. Yeah. There's no I in team, but there's no I in sucks either. There's no I in loser. (laughs) There's no I in last place. What genius came up with that idea? And yet we're all guilty. We've been reeled in to believe that that that's gospel doctrine. Are you kidding me? It's not all about team. Teams lose Cleveland Browns. Are there companies going bankrupt as we sit here on the radio with you with each other, Kelly? Absolutely. It's not mm-hmm. all about team. Whoever said it's not whether you win or lose, the count's probably lost. <laughs> You're right. Vince no Lombardi had a few things to say about that. two eyes in winning, and the first eye represents independent individual preparation, and the second eye in, represents interdependent collaboration. So, yes, it is about team. We know that. They don't give Super Bowl rings out one at a time, but the teams that win have the greatest number of individual eye players on them. So let me talk here for a second. So in, in law number six in my book, The Art of Significance, Achieving Level Beyond Success, I've identified and created what I call the 10 commitments to building a winning team. And not only building a winning team, but notice I didn't use win as a singular. I used winning as a plural ongoing process so that we can create a dynasty. We need Mm -hmm. to dominate our competition. We need to dominate the referral business. We need to dominate the recruiting and the retention of great employees of I players. And so we need both eyes in winning. So the first eye in winning represents independent individual preparation, which is a commitment to the first six of the 10 commitments, the first six C's as I call them. Number one, clarity. Who are you really? 
Number two, character. How do you deal with yourself when you have tough, tough times? I played football for 13 years. I was pra- one day in practice, the dream ended. We had a tackling drill. Coach blew the whistle. Two of us ran into each other full speed. The only parts of our bodies that made contact. Lyle's helmet hit my right shoulder, my neck, and we crashed and slammed to the ground. And when he got off of me, I compressed my seventh cervical vertebrae. I'd severed what is called the axillary nerve in my right deltoid muscle, and I'd suffered a level two concussion, which meant that I went to bed that night, you know, perspiring, throwing up, and crying myself to sleep. Long story shorter, I stayed paralyzed for 14 months. My eye drooped. I had lost the speech, couldn't talk anymore. My right side stayed paralyzed. My arm dangled helplessly at my side. Stayed paralyzed for 14 months, went to 16 of the very best doctors in all of North America. Every one of them told me I would never get any better. When we believe that, we never get any better. And now that I've recovered, since I'm fast-forwarding to the end of the story, the most frequently asked question of me is, Clark, what took you so long? I just laugh, you know. And let me just share that with your with your listeners too, Kelly. If we're really going to change and transform our lives, what's holding us back, and why do we wait so long? And the reason why I stayed paralyzed for 14 months was because I was asking the wrong questions. I was asking the doctors how to get better when I should have been asking myself why. And once we answer why, figuring out the how-to is pretty simple. When our why is bigger than our why not, it's amazing how we can transform our lives and our businesses and our relationships from successful to significant. So when we talk about the second I, I mean the first I in winning and the second C character, it's how we deal with adversity. And what I experienced is adversity introduces us to ourselves, which means that clearly my paralysis, my accident was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. My accident wasn't one of the best things that happened to me. But who I became as a man, what I learned about priorities and about myself as a result of going through this ordeal is clearly one of the best things that ever happened. So character is really important. And we have to go out of our way to create discomfort in our lives, which is law number three, proactively, intentionally stretch beyond change. Change, I mean, proactively stretch instead of change. Uh, all the stretching occurs. Before, I mean, all, all the stretching occurs in the area past the point of discomfort. Mm-hmm. All the strengthening when we stretch occurs in the area past the point of discomfort. So we have to willingly create discomfort in our lives. And character, the second C in, in building a winning team, is is so critical. We have to to deal with adversity. The third C is competence. So yeah, we need product knowledge. We need all the education we can get. Fourth C is consistency. I have to be the same off stage as I am on stage or I have no credibility. Right. Can't turn on winning. Winning is a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. The fifth C is competitiveness. So too many people compete against their, their market. They compete against their competitors. And the analogy that I always use is when you pull into a Marriott hotel, who's the competition? Other hoteliers? Absolutely not. It's the Hertz rental car that has my my car already on with the heater going on a cold day with a trunk up and my name on the sign. It's going into a restaurant and having someone recognize me and give me the best table and take good care of me with extraordinary customer service. So when I go into a Marriott hotel, I expect the same service. So comp- competition is not against our competition. It has to be always against ourselves. And the sixth C. Let me stop you right there, Dan. I want to. I want to stop for a second. How to is pretty simple. Let me stop you right there because I got to take a break, and I'm just 
transfixed by all of this, and, and I suspect the listeners are as well. And there's a couple of questions I want to throw in, but we need to take a time out, pay a few bills. Hey, we're going to do that. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back with Mr. Dan Clark, we'll continue this conversation. I want to ask him some questions about competitiveness and, uh, and deal with that just a little bit and, and talk about some of the things that we see going on in the workplace. And people, Dan, it just seem, seems that it's hard to find people who want to be great anymore. And I want to ask you to sort of address that when we come back. We'll do that on the other side of the break. I'm Kelly Riggs. This is the Business Locker Room. You're listening to Voice America. We'll be back on the other side. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Business Locker Room, thanks for joining us. We're talking with Dan Clark. Lots of great things going on. Again, next week, Kurt Steinhorst will join us. He's uh, the distraction expert teaching different companies how to focus and overcome their ADD. That's attention distraction disorder. He is a funny guy. I can't wait to get him online and talk to him as well. Dan Clark, as I mentioned, is our guest. You can find him at danclarkspeak.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at danclarkspeak. This man's life is ridiculous. Every time I turn around, he's doing something else that I only dreamed that I could do, wish that I could do, and now he inspires me to do all of those things. We're talking about his book, The Art of Significance, and and have been focusing on one particular law that he brings up. Focus on winning instead uh, instead of team, and he has 10 commitments as a part of that. We left out, uh, or left off rather, Dan, at competitiveness, and there's uh, four others that you wanted to get to, and then I want to talk a little bit about that idea of competitiveness, so go ahead and finish up with the 10 commitments. All right, well, competitiveness was number five, six, the sixth C, the sixth commitment is cause. Once we answer why, figuring out the how-to is pretty simple. The, the first I in winning, as I said, represents interdep- I mean, independent individual preparation. I've been in Super Bowl locker rooms right before kickoff, and the silent prayer of every athlete is, please don't let me be the weak link. Please don't let me be the list. Don't let them run 95 yards through my three feet of real estate to score the winning touchdown and defeat my team. Right. So before we can ever 
feel like we're contributing all that we can to build a winning organization. We've got to be the best that we can be. First eye and winning. Second eye and winning represents interdependent collaboration, which is a commitment to contribute. And that's uh, one of the, the last four C's. C number seven is chemistry. We got to back up and really hit chemistry. A good coach, a good manager, a good leader is a chemist. And you can have the highest paid players and the most qualified and most highly educated people on your, in your business, in your company, and still not win, still not be profitable, still go bankrupt because there's no chemistry. When you put a hard to catch horse in the same field that needs to catch horse, most of the time you end up with two hard to catch horses. Hmm. When you put a healthy child in the same room with a sick child, most of the time you end up with two sick children. Well, the story would be disciplined, healthy, and significant. You've got to hang around with the disciplined, healthy, and significant. So what I remind people about, especially in a business locker room setting so that we can draw the analogies from sports and business, we become the average of the five people we associate with the most, which means we must be willing to pay any price and travel any distance to associate with extraordinary human beings. Chemistry has to be at the top of our list when we're recruiting, and it's the, it's the, the, the reason why we retain the best of the best. Scene number eight is contribution. And that's giving it everything you've got when less would be sufficient. And that's how we develop trust. When people know we have more potential than we're giving, uh, is, is when, when we're, than we're producing at, no one trusts us. Scene number nine is collaboration. The best of the best. And scene number 10 is conclusion. Yeah, anybody can make a sales presentation. You've got to close the deal. Right. So like we said, it really is about winning. It really is about team. But the teams that win have the greatest number of individualized uh, players on them. So let me just throw out one quick s- statistic that will help us address this, this, intrigue, this, this intriguing competitiveness that you asked me about, this, this C number five. Herb True, Dr. Herb True from the University, uh, University of Notre Dame, old friend, he's since passed away, he conducted a long-term hardline study of sales professionals. He discovered... 44% of sales professionals quit after the first sales call, 24% quit after the second sales call, 14% quit after the third sales call, and 12% quit after the fourth sales call. That means 94% of sales professionals quit after the fourth sales call, and yet 80% of our sales are closed between the fifth and the twelfth sales call. Hmm. So we better make ourselves so compelling and so interesting to be around and so inspiring that folks who want to be around us, want to be around us for other reasons other than to just get a good price on a product. Sure. And so what we've got to do is become significant so that each time we leave our competitors, leave our, our, our potential customers, and leave our current clients, everyone says, I like me best and I'm with you. I want to see you again. Yeah, that's like good stuff. I'm with you. I want to see you again. That's what gives us the competitive advantage and that's why competitiveness is always against ourselves. We've got to make sure we're better today than we were yesterday, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, socially. We just have to. It's interesting stuff, Dan, because the business locker room sort of germinated from my background in sports and having spent all of my time in sports as a young man and in coaching sports for 20 years. I, my, my coaching was in football, a little bit of baseball, and almost no soccer because I, I didn't grow up playing soccer and didn't know how to coach it well. But what I've learned is that I, I learned so much about being a better manager, a better leader, 
from my experiences with with coaching and, and and being a player and playing for both good and bad coaching and seeing what works and what doesn't. And one of the things that, that distresses me in the business world today is that it seems that mediocrity has become the new norm. It's just very difficult to find people who want to be great, who have the desire and the discipline to do what's necessary to move themselves to the next level. And in, in, especially when you talk about it from your perspective in terms of significance, most people are just out trying to get theirs and get it while they can and get it the easiest way possible. And it, it's such an interesting idea. Max Dupree wrote a book called Leadership as an Art, and he said reaching your potential is much more important than reaching your goals, and that really resonated with me. But why is it becoming so difficult to find people who want to reach their potential or capitalize on their potential? Because they're associating with the wrong people. Huh. If our mentality... You know, I don't want to. I don't want to diss anybody else, but let's bring up Covey. Begin with the end in mind. When you begin with the end in mind, you focus in on a destination, which means you reward results and you manage people. That's a disastrous formula. When you begin with the why in mind, you focus in on the journey. You reward effort, and you. Uh, allow yourselves to, to, to explore the possibility of I'm better today than I was yesterday, so there's no conclusion. And if we have that mindset begin with the why in mind, then we understand that the goal is not to do business with everybody who wants what we have. The goal is to do business with those who believe what we believe. Simon Sinek made that famous, one of my good buddies, author of Begin With Why, I mean, Start With Why. Mm-hmm. So in sales, the goal is to have someone choose you, not someone who does what you do. So at some point, we've got to let go of this mediocrity, this minimum requirement society and step out of the crowd. Instead of trying to be like everybody else, we need to step it up. If I could uh, just take you in, into an NFL locker room, I'm hired and paid big bucks by teams in the National Football League to say something to their athletes to take them to the next level. And obviously your listeners are, are elite athletes in their own way or they wouldn't tune into this amazing show. So come with me. Visualize this. I walk into an NFL team meeting and there are 53 elite athletes who collectively represent over $105 million in annual salary. That's sick. So what do you say to them? Well, the good news, the same thing that motivates them is the same thing that motivates every one of your listeners and you, Kelly, and me. You can't motivate them with money and some people go, well, that's because they have it all. No, I have friends who make millions of dollars every single year, and they're flat broke. They just have greater debt, bigger debt, more debt, and bigger toys. Mm-hmm. I've interviewed, as you said in the introduction, I've interviewed presidents and sheikhs and the most wealthy, powerful people on the planet. Most of them are so sad. They're successful, but they'll never achieve significance because at the end of the day, they don't want what they're getting, and they don't know how to get out of it. So at some point, we've got to understand that mo- money's not a motivator. Can you motivate these 53 elite athletes with benefits and bonuses? Absolutely not. Do you realize how many people in America refuse to let go of their lame job that they hate, which means they only look forward to Friday instead of Monday, because they're afraid they're going to lose their insurance benefits? Are you kidding me? Work a little harder, make a little more money, and buy your own insurance. Don't let that company you know, drag you down. What we've got to do is inspire each other in the business world, in the free market environment of America to understand that too many people are bringing their dreams down to the level of their income when what we're supposed to do is inspire each other to bring our income up to the level of our dreams. Hmm. 
So can you motivate them with money? No. Can you motivate them with benefits and bonuses? No. Can you motivate them with awards and rewards? Absolutely not. So the only thing that motivates these 53 elite athletes is the same thing that motivates me and you, and that's expectations. So here's what happens. I walk into this team meeting. I ask an assistant coach and a captain of the team to hold a, a broomstick 12 inches off the floor in the front of the room. And ahead of time, I get the name of the best, most gifted athlete on the entire team who can jump 38 inches high. And for the record, every one of the 32 NFL teams has at least one player on their roster who can jump 38 inches high. Unbelievable. Without getting any running start, they just stand there and jump, eat a Big Mac, drink a Diet Coke before they land. You're like, whoa, dude. <laughs> and the scream of down is on the back row. So I call him out by name, and every single time I've had this experience in the NFL meeting rooms, this prima donna looks at me like, why are you waking me up? Don't you know who I am? And don't you read my newspaper clippings? I do. So I encourage him and his, cl- his teammates clap him up. He gets out of his back row seat, takes him 22 and a half minutes to wander up to the front of the front of the room, walk, walk, you know, strutting his stuff like he sat on something hot. <laughs> and now superstars in the front of the room, standing in front of the coach, the assistant coach, and the captain of the team holding this broomstick 12 inches off the floor. So I say to Superstar, do you think you can jump over that 12-inch right broomstick? He looks at me, why are you wasting my time? Are you stupid? So I changed the question. Will you jump over that 12-inch right broomstick? He always puts his forefinger and his thumb together, skips over the bar to pacify me, then stares me down so I stare back. And here's where the teaching begins. Why did you only jump 12 inches high when you and your teammates know you can jump 38 inches high? And the answer is always the same, because that's all you asked me to do. So I'm asking all of your listeners, how high is your bar? And everyone with whom you work and live and play and worship knows exactly how high your bar is, because they see it every day, but only you know how high it should be. Only you know if you're pushing yourself to your ultimate capacity and potential as a human being. So in my book, Your Art of Significance, Law Number 3, Proactively Intentionally Stretch, beyond change or instead of change, what we've got to understand is that no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. You can't always, you can't always control what happens, but you can always control what happens next. And so if we're living in a minimum requirement mediocrity, what we've got to do is be man enough and woman enough to sense that we're just settling for less than the very best that we have, that we're in a wrong environment allowing the influences of others to suffocate our potential and to hold us back. And to be man enough and woman enough to step out of that crowd and seek out those who will inspire us to be significant. Yeah, that's a great story, Dan. I tell you this, the sad part is it extends into the hiring managers inside of these companies. They're settling for much less than what people are capable of. They're not holding the bar high enough. And as a result, these companies are not competing at the level that they're capable of doing. Oh, my goodness. We, we could go for a long time, my friend. And I'm looking forward to doing this again. Now, my guest, Dan Clark. Find him at danclarkspeak.com. Follow him on Twitter at danclarkspeak. And run, do not walk to your nearest computer or to your nearest bookstore and buy this book, The Art of Significance. And anytime you get the opportunity, please find Mr. Clark and listen to him speak. He is absolutely amazing. Dan, it has been an honor. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to doing it again. Appreciate you, Kelly. You're the real deal. And I uh, love you. I appreciate you. I honor you. And I take great pride in calling you my friend. 
Very good, sir. I'll talk to you again soon. Dan Clark, he's our guest. We're going to take our final time out. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to keep the ball rolling. We will have Mr. Stephen Gaffney join us. He is the leading expert in honest, transparent communication in the workplace. Can't wait to get him back on. He's going to be a regular as well. I'm looking forward to it. Stay with us. You're listening to The Business Locker Room on Voice America. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Hey, welcome back. The Business Locker Room. Find us at bizlockerroom.com. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, some great announcements coming after the first of the year. Got some really great things in store for listeners of the Business Locker Room. You can send me an email always, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at bizlockerroom. Encourage you to follow me on Twitter and keep up with the show, at Kelly Riggs. Our next guest, and we'll run through the end of the show with Mr. Stephen Gaffney. By the way, Miles Austin taking a break this week. He is normally with us to discuss uh, technology and web tools that make you more productive in the X's and O's segment, which is brought to you by 4D Sales and uh, some things coming from 4D Sales as well. We'll tell you more about after the first of the year. But Stephen has been a guest in the past, and he'll be a future guest. We'll spend time on a regular basis talking about communication. The reason for that is, is I have yet to have a client in my consulting work eight years now that doesn't have significant communication problems. And when you ask people, Stephen, when they're going to solve the problem, they look at you like you've lost your mind. Welcome to the business locker room. Thanks for having me back. Hey, always, always great to have you back. Communication is uh, one of those things in, in the workplace that we could spend an awful lot of time talking about from so many different directions. But, you know, the, the, the overwhelming thing that's, that happens as business is change has become the one constant. Everybody's changing. Everybody's adapting. There's always somebody new coming into the organization that's trying to change things, improve things. And what gets lost in all of the clutter and the noise is the communication side, uh, which is absolutely critical to making change management work, isn't it? Absolutely. Because the big problem, as you've heard me talk about, is not what people say. It's actually what they don't 
say. And so you, when you're implementing a change, you have to have that free flow of communication because there's going to be problems. In fact, even in my uh, new book that just came out, Be a Change Champion, which is the only book out there about keeping up the motivation of change, the momentum of change, one of the key things is you've you got to set up an environment in which you hear about problems because one of the things I talk about in the book and I found to be the case is you, when you execute on a change, you need to tell people we're going to have problems. Now, people say, well, well you mean you tell people that? Well, yeah, because you've got to manage expectations that there are going to be problems. I can't tell you how many times somebody will say, hey, we've got it all figured out. We're launching the change, and, of course, there's problems. And people go, here we go again. Just like the last change, this one isn't going to work either. So a lot of it is, comes down to communication, and we have to hear how the problems are so we can correct it. John Cotter's book, Leading Change, has been around now, well, I, don't, I don't know how long. John Cotter of uh, Harvard Business, hey, he is one of the most widely quoted in, uh, guys that, that talk about change, change management, leading change. Great book. He says that uh, we have a tendency to under-communicate by a factor of 10, sometimes as high as 100 times what is necessary to implement change well. The fact of the matter is we go into even the smallest change initiatives, but certainly in the big ones, without any sort of real strategy for communicating what's going on. We just don't think about it, Stephen. Isn't, isn't that really the case? I mean, we're, we're so busy working on the technical side, we're not even thinking about the soft skills side and how important it is to get people on board. Absolutely. In fact, I think there's five key areas that I, if we have time to go through, I would like everybody to kind of consider and listen. Because let's face it, it's not easy. This is not, um, it's easy to stay the same, but it's hard to keep changing. And yet change is a necessity in today's business world. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Okay, so the first thing is don't blame change. Change has a bad name. <laughs> what I, here's what I and it makes, and the reality is it makes a convenient scapegoat, too. We can just all blame it on that sort of you know, thing in the sky called change. Absolutely. In fact, one way to think about this is change reveals more problems than it causes. And this is something that a lot of people don't consider until we start talking about this, that change reveals more problems than it causes. So, for example, you're implementing a change, and there's a problem, right? And um, somebody's, uh, there's a, a breakdown in a particular area or department, or somebody's not following through. And they say, see, look at all those problems that change is causing. My comeback is, how were those people beforehand? How was that department beforehand? The chances are they were low performers or not doing a very good job to begin with. So what this changes reveals problems. So, so if you were to cut staff, let's say, by 20%, that's obviously going to be an issue, right? And that would right. be a change management type of situation. You might have to do a reorg. But what that really reveals often is that who's left and how are they doing to begin with? And were we, were we as productive as we should have been? So a lot of times when people blame change, it changes a bad name because most of the time the problems were already there. The change just reveals more problems than it causes. Yeah, it's interesting too because when you don't communicate change, what, what inevitably happens is all the people that are involved with it, they, they assume the worst about the change. So they're, they're making up all kinds of movies in their head about who did what and why, and you know they're doing it to me on purpose, obviously. That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, and here's what happens, is that don't let your silence do the talking. Because what happens is with executives, that a lot of times they're coached or you know, advised by maybe their legal department or HR department, to what they can and cannot say. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to this, but what I can speak to is overall, when you go silent, people think of the worst things, not the best things. So sometimes somebody says, well, I don't want people to worry about this and we haven't figured it out. 
The problem is if they go silent, people make things up in their mind, as you so properly said, the movies, but then they forget that they made it up. It suddenly lives like reality, and they don't make up a good version. They always go negative. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I love to use to illustrate this point. When I'm doing a seminar, um, I like to tee it up by saying, okay, what ha- you send an email and somebody doesn't respond. How, what do you do? And they'll say, you know, what do you, what do you think in your head? And people say, oh, they don't respect me. They're too busy. They don't have, they're not prioritizing things. So well, all of that you just made up. And you that's made right, up that's and right. went negative. And what happens is that people, and I try to make the point that when you, uh, so in the absence of actions or silence or communication, people will make up things in their head and they go negative just like you just did or we just do when we send an email and nobody responds. We don't say, oh, well, they probably, they, they really think highly of us. They just haven't gotten to it. We usually say, oh, they don't care or whatever. Now, I've learned to train myself and other people to assume good intent, which is a core principle. We've got to assume good intent. But the point being is that when we go silent, usually people don't assume good intent. They assume ill intent. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in terms of change, when we don't blame the change, your first principle there, it, it's it's interesting because this is the business locker room. I, I like to use the sports analogies, obviously. But, you know, we, we uh, you and I are coaches of an NFL football team or a football team at any level, and our, our offense is not performing well, so we decide to change the offense. We decide to do something different because we need to change our results on the field. And uh, we, we just tell everybody, hey, we're, we, we need to make some changes. You know, that's typically the level of communication. We need to make some changes. We're not doing as well as we should. So we're going to go out uh, and change some things, and we'll tell you about the change when it happens. So we get out on the football field, and we've got a new offense, but the problem is nobody knows how to run it. Nobody knows why we're doing it. Nobody knows why we decided to leave out the third wide receiver, you know, so now he's got his feelings hurt. And when you put it like that, people's eyes kind of open and go, well, that's just silly. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. They go, yeah, but we're doing it every day. Yeah. And that, and this reveals something else. We have to uh, tackle change blockers. One of the chapters in my book be a change champion is that we really have to tackle change blockers. So these are the people that are resisting the change. They're the ones that are the naysayers. And you know, right, if right. we leave them unchecked, they are like a cancer to our organization. And people say, well, that's a heavy word to say cancer. I've had cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. And I could tell you, it's not a pretty sight to have cancer. But the, but wow. the thing about it is it spreads. And, ju- and that's what happens with negativity, change, resistance, people. And I'm not talking about the people who give you hard feedback and tell you where the problems are. I'm talking about the people that only can point out the problems and never point out an idea or solution. The people that are just saying, yep, this isn't going to work. Yep, we're going to fight against this. If you've got somebody like that in your life, it, um, I remember this executive I interviewed on my TV show years ago. He said, if you can't change the people... Change the people. <laughs> I like it. That's, yeah, that's great this advice. Is even in our personal life, right? You got somebody who's a naysayer, always knocking you. What in the world are you doing spending time with that person? At a certain point, you got to say, hold on. I'm not expecting you to only say positive things, but give me some encouragement here. And if you don't like something, give me an idea of how to make it better. Anybody can pick apart anything. But the true test of a great leader is to say, and, and great employees and great um, friends are people that will give you ideas that help you move forward in your life. 
Stephen Gaffney is my guest, and uh, he is a previous guest. As I mentioned, he's going to spend a lot more time here in the business locker room. I value the impact of talking about communication, especially with someone like Stephen, who's got all of the experience. He's widely recognized as a communication expert in industry. You can find him online at stephengaffney.com, G-A-F-F-N-E-Y. So we talk about, number one, don't blame change. What comes next? So the second thing is tackle change blockers. All right. Okay. And so, gotcha. and then the third thing is, is something you mentioned earlier, but I want to like uh, go into a little bit more. And change is a constant. Here's what I mean by this: this is actually a skill set that we have to recognize about how to manage, adapt, and deal with change. That is should be part of our DNA because if we're not progressing in life, we are regressing. So there is no such thing as status quo. You know, if you say, "Well, I've got this handled." The competitor is always trying to outsmart us and do more creative things. So we as a company, or you can look at it as an individual, we always need to be improving ourselves. So as an individual, we need to improving our skill set. It never ends. Learning is a constant. And so, and as a company, as an organization, we need to keep getting better and better and better and better. So if we're not progressing, we are regressing. And so I am saying that is that we need to make sure that everybody gets that change is not something we're doing today and then we'll get past. Change is a constant. And if you're not okay with change and constantly looking at things and how we can make things better, maybe this is not a good fit. Now, some of these messages that people may be hearing from me sounds tough, but let's face it in life. It's not easy to talk about this stuff. But we have to talk about this stuff because at a certain point, if we don't change, we will die. So we need to keep improving. If we are not progressing, we are regressing. Well, I think that's interesting. Some lights just went on for me. What you're saying is that change is a lot like strategic planning in the sense that it's not an event. It's an environment. It's something that's ongoing. And when you look at it or, or you portray to people that it's a you know one point in time kind of thing, then you automatically are almost setting yourself up for failure. Absolutely. And just... You know, and this stuff is not easy. I mean, just share something about myself. You know, at times in my life with my business, I got to certain levels, and I'm like, okay, I got this handled. You know, I kept cranking out the same content. And after a while, business started to slip. And I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, you know what? I got to keep getting better. This is not something where I get to a certain level, and then I can just ride on my success. If I ride on my success, I'm going downhill. So this isn't easy to do, but it's something we got to incorporate. So I share this with your listeners because I'm in this together. I mean, these are things that I've realized the hard way. You know, I have blamed change before. I have blamed the environment, but it doesn't work. I've found that change reveals more problems than it causes. So I'm saying this because these are some lessons that I've learned over the years in working with executives and admirals and generals and folks that people who have gone through the hard knocks, you realize this stuff. I just don't want people to go through the pain that I did and suffer from it. And you can avoid a lot of these pain with change by looking at things in a different way. And that's why you've got to tackle these change blockers. That's why we have to look at change as something if we're not progressing, we're regressing. These are not easy to do, but they're critical to do. All right, very good. So we're talking with Stephen Gaffney about communication during times of change. Number one, don't blame the change. Get away from that. Tackle the change blockers. These are people in the organization that are creating the problems who actively are opposing your change. Recognize that change is a constant. It's something that's always a part of our workplace. What are the last two? The last two are they're set up non-negotiables. 
You know, in life, we're, we say this is important, this is important, but when I'm talking about non-negotiables, where you draw the line in the sand, and there are three critical non-negotiables that I found to be critical, I say critical twice, but you don't understand, the essence of when you're um, working with any organization um, or you're uh, in any kind of situation, you want to set up three non-negotiables. The first one is that we make and keep commitments without checking in. That in other words, we set up the environment that we don't want to babysit each other. We don't have time to babysit each other. We have to build trust in the organization and with ourselves and with others. And the way to do this is to make and keep commitments without checking in. The second is proactive honesty. Now, if you think about it, what I mean by that is that we are proactively honest. So the idea or excuse of, well, Kelly, you never asked me. I mean, I'm right. not lying. You never asked me. No, no, no. Right. In today's work world, and even in our friendships, we need to surround ourselves by people who are willing to be proactively honest. In other words, that are going to tell us things without us having to ask because they see that it's things that we need to address. And the third non-negotiable is direct communication. In other words, when we have a problem with somebody, we go direct to them. I mean, look at how many times you take a team or an organization where people are talking behind each other's back. They, they complain to other people. Well, you can't solve a problem that nobody tells you about. So it's so critical to set up an environment, a non-negotiable, that if you have a problem with, that, with somebody, you've got to tell that person first, not after you tell everybody else. So setting up these three non-negotiables, and of course in the book it goes into much more in depth, but the point mm-hmm. is the critical thing is to set up these non-negotiables and draw a line in the sand. They are not forgivable. All right, 60 seconds, Stephen. Number five. Number five is to celebrate. It's one of my favorites. You know, I work with a lot of organizations, and they forget to celebrate the successes. They wait to celebrate the end. You know, you know what? So if you're moving on a change, and let's say on a scale from one to ten, you're at a two. You could look at it like, wow, we've got 80, you know, 80% more to go. Or you could tell folks, listen, we're 20% there. We're on a roll. We're going to make it. So people want to be encouraged. And we have to appreciate people. And so when they're working hard and staying longer hours and they're doing things that, um, that they don't have to be doing, and when we accomplish things, celebrate. Because, my gosh, I work with a lot of high-level people, and they just forget to celebrate their own successes as well as others. Yeah, that's such, that's such good stuff. Folks, always a pleasure to have Mr. Gaffney on board, and he'll be a regular on the Business Locker Room show. Five things. Don't blame the change. Tackle the change blockers in your organization. Make sure you recognize, and everyone else in the organization does as well, change is a constant. Set up those non-negotiables that Steve mentioned. Sounds like values to me, and uh, we can explore that in greater detail as well. And then number five, don't forget to celebrate. Excellent to have you with us, Stephen. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. I look forward to it again the next time. And thank you for having me, Kelly. Absolutely. Hey, that's going to do it for today's show. And what a fantastic show it was. Special thanks to my guest, Dan Clark, for joining us in his book, The Art of Significance. Thanks to Stephen Gaffney for sticking around and talking about communication. And special thanks to 40 Sales. They always sponsor us and partner with us. And they're part of the X's Nose segment with Miles Austin. He'll be back next week. We'll do much more of that. Hey, by the way, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Go find us. It's the Business Locker Room. You can search for us and find us. I'd love to have you rate and review the show. That's always a good thing. Special thanks to Michael Sergit, our engineer. Always makes us sound better than we really do. Brandy Jackson is our executive producer. We'll see you next time. Visit us at bizlockerroom.com. I'm Kelly Riggs, and we'll see you next week in the Business Locker Room. 
Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business-building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of The Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.